five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome, everybody, to the Bounty Guild podcast and YouTube page. I'm your host, Andy Garcia. If you're tuning in for the very first time, I, like many others, am a lifelong Star Wars fan. Grew up in the prequel era, so our mission statement here is all Star Wars is good Star Wars. We could be critical of it. However, it's very nice to be and live in an era where we get Star Wars content so many times out of the year. And... Coming from that prequel there, I mean, you got introduced to the original trilogy, VHS, finally <laughs> had some new content with the prequels, DVDs, so right now we're, we're living, I think, in the peak of Star Wars, uh, just, you know, a guy that's trying to make his way around the universe, love all things Star Wars, passionate fan, so just... Opening it up for all the new listeners, anyone else that is checking out the channel for the very first time. We finally got our YouTube page kicked off. I did do a previous video just recapping some things that we saw at Celebration last year in Anaheim. So it's going to be really exciting to start doing these more often, more frequently. Uh, for the previous podcast listeners, some of the older fans, uh, picking right up this episode with the... Mandalorian recap. I know I've been gone for a couple weeks now. Last episode we did was a Chapter 17, the Apostate recap. Just had some roadblocks, had some things going on, but really excited to get the ball rolling. Uh, date of recording here is April 8th, 2023. As we all know, Celebration is kicking off this weekend in London. Very sad I couldn't be there, but those plane prices were pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I couldn't even get past that from even bothering to look at a hotel, but we're here. Uh, we'll do another recap video on everything that has been announced at Celebration. They got a lot of exciting things that we're going to dive into in another video. So just from where we are right now, um, we're really excited to keep going. So let's go ahead and dive into Star Wars The Mandalorian, Chapters 18 to 22. So picking up here where we left off, chapter 18 titled The Minds of Mandalore, we finally get to go back to a live action. I shouldn't say go back, we go and get introduced to a live action Mandalore. Uh, this was a little unexpected on my end here. I wouldn't have anticipated for us to see or explore Mandalore this early on in the season. Um, I'm going to try, I know it's a little difficult knowing what happens since the last episode, but I'm going to try and keep it within that mindset as far as what my expectations were going into the episode, how I felt immediately after, and then just kind of going over, um, some thoughts, theories, and reflection just now that we've had some time to kind of marinate on everything, uh, let the Ronto Roasters wins turn, 
wheels turn, I should say. Uh, but from there, you know, just picking it up. So, chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. We go back to live-action Star Wars' favorite planet, Tatooine. Uh, really exciting stuff because we go back during the uh, Bunta Eve celebration. All the prequel fans out there, Bunta Eve is obviously the celebratory festival or holiday that's going on when the pot racing happens when uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, you know, discover and stumble upon Anakin. So I don't need to recap that. You all know that already. Um, from past episodes, I usually like to do kind of like the whole tiller the tape thing, but it's been some time. I mean, we all saw the episode. I just kind of want to condense it into <clears throat> uh, more of like takeaways from the episode. So, Chapter 18, Minds of Mandalore, was directed by Rachel Morrison. It's the first time that she's directed something in Star Wars. So, I think she did a fantastic job with this episode. Uh, was up there. I think it was, was up there for uh, Mandalorian episode as far as story, acting, everything. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, with... Minds of Mandalore. We got our first look at the live-action Mythosaur. Definitely awesome. That's something that early listeners, early followers would know that uh, I would have put down on my bingo card, I guess, for things to expect out of the Mandalorian this season. So thank you, John and Dave, for that. That was awesome. Uh, aside from that, we got this mechanical spider alien thing, which was pretty cool, too. Definitely reminded me of General Grievous. It was a cool little tidbit and I enjoyed it. I know some people kind of felt a little iffy. It may have felt a little non-Star Wars-y for them. But I think it was definitely in-universe. Felt more of like a creature or robot from the Clone Wars or animated series like Rebels. Something like that. But it was really cool to see something like that in live action. Uh, we got to see Bo-Katan in action with the Darksaber again. And man, she knows how to use that thing. Um, going from chapter 18 to chapter 22, we kind of know how things play out already. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But you could just see, and it was leading up to that point, I believe. Uh, just showing her, you know, being able to wield it, do all her combat moves with it. It was pretty awesome. So definitely satisfied with that. Uh, we got to see Grogu's more kind of enhanced force powers. So... It, it was such a good episode. Um, that's one of the top ones, I think, from this season. And that's kind of the reason why I... I wouldn't say waited, but... It was a little more difficult to try and squeeze out as much as you can from this season. I know a lot of people may be struggling with this season. I think it's set up a little bit differently from uh, season one and season two. I think we're going to have a pretty big payoff, and we'll kind of get to that towards the end as well. But between Chapter 17 and Chapter 18, it early on, it felt like his mission was fulfilled already. I mean, from where we picked up on the Book of Boba Fett, him removing his helmet, being apostate, we had that episode, The Return of the Mandalorian, where he pretty much copied and had that similar dialogue with the armor that he did in Chapter 17, in the uh, opening scene, right after he destroys a giant turtle gator thing. 
Um, it, it did feel like, where's it going to go from here? Um, the big, big, big dispute around that time, immediately following, which I would have done an early guess on, was the fact that he was dragged down and pulled down by the Mythosaur. However, we know, following that, they confirm it early on in Chapter 19 that he just fell through and kind of missed a step or whatever. So, we know he wasn't dragged down. Is he the quote-unquote chosen one of Mandalorian lore? That was up for debate in Chapter 18. I think that has since been resolved to now, but... It was cool to speculate it. Um, My whole take on that was it would be cool because it is his show. At that time, we thought it was his show. That's also for debate now. But I don't... What what was tough was not knowing where it's going to go. And that's kind of part of the mystery of it. But I say it so many times because we've seen... Something similar, very similar storyline that I've referenced in previous episodes or previous um, podcasts where I think he's going the Jon Snow route of he doesn't want it. He immediately reacted to it when he was on the light cruiser in chapter 16. Doesn't want it. I yield. Take it. Uh, he, He just wants to go back to being his faithful. This is the way. Child of the Watch. I don't think he's ever had any indication, he hasn't actually, of wanting some type of Mandalorian throne or wanting some type of royalty out of this. So, just to kind of put it in that perspective, it it makes it difficult to kind of predict where it's going to go. Because everyone kind of assumed it was going to be some type of Mandalorian Civil War, it was going to be the Night Owls versus uh, Children of the Watch. Just kind of building up their armies, maybe clash it out. And that's not what we got at all. Um, Not to say that it's a good or bad thing. It's just not what people were expecting. And I think that's a lot of people struggle if they're not liking this season as much as season one and season two. Do I think season one and season two are stronger? Yes, I do. I think they were just put together better um, as far as just how the episodes, how the execution goes. Um, I don't think it's a bad season. I do enjoy it, but I think it's just people's expectations to what they think, what they theorize we're going to get, and it just doesn't go that way. That's been Star Wars' biggest problem, and it's very clear. It's continuing, and now Favreau and Filoni have fallen victim to that type of criticism. Uh, Not to say that, I mean, as long as you're not harassing them or doing something like that there's no need for that in fandom but it's okay to be critical so with that i mean chapter 18 i think was strong it was one of the stronger chapters from this season uh moving on to chapter 19 the convert everyone is kind of up in air about this one especially once it aired uh there's a lot of memes on this one here about uh, pretty much getting like your peanut butter and your chocolate. Uh, there was one that I stumbled upon on Twitter where it was like, hey, you got your Andor in my Mandalorian. Which, it, it did feel like an Andor episode. Uh, this one was one of the longest episodes I think ever. I think the only one that beats this one out as far as runtime goes would be uh, chapter 9. Uh, which would have been the Marshall 
that one was awesome. That one kind of feels like a standalone little short film. So I love that episode. But this one was really interesting. Um, definitely not what I was expecting going in. Opening up with the convert, you have one of the sickest, and I mean sickest, dogfights in Star Wars. I'm, I was blown away with that opening sequence of uh, Bogotan in her ship just blasting through tight interceptors. Not even TIE fighters. We had tight interceptors. Uh, we had tight bombers come in. Uh, the gauntlet just doing its thing. Uh, everyone fell in love with that sequence of doing that J-turn. That was so cool. Uh, you got a cool drop sequence with Mando flying through. Dropping in, getting in that N1 and just taking off. And you could see his piloting skills are really starting to... I wouldn't even say flourish. I think they were always there. But they're really, really being shown and reflected here. Now that he has an actual starfighter. Versus more of a bigger, heavier gunship. I think he's finally got the keys to a Corvette. Versus the Razor Crest being a little bit more of a heavier, more muscle type of starfighter. Or not starfighter, a gunship. Like a like a Dodge Charger, Dodge uh, Challenger, Challenger. So, I mean, this guy's got a Corvette now. Really sick to see him just blasting through. I... On, on previous podcasts, I always wanted to see more of that Starfighter action. It didn't have to be in space. I think it being like on an actual planet was a lot cooler. Uh, they did blow her castle to smithereens, but it just, you know, shows and we get introduced to this character development that we're going to start seeing with Bo-Katan and that we've seen so far with her in this series. Um, a lot of people like me speculated that Bo-Katan was going to be this Kind of villain. Um, I think she was going to be pitted against Din Djarin. Didn't turn out that way uh, since from going into the season to now. We know they've become allies. I don't think she's going to double cross him. She's not that type of character. And once we get into a little bit more as far as a celebration recap. We'll do a couple episodes on that. Uh, she's pretty much confirmed it's been all character arc character development. From Bo-Katan when we got introduced her in the Clone Wars to where she is now. Uh, where she was in the middle sequence in Rebels. Uh, it's been been really cool seeing that type of arc and that type of character development with her. So from there they finish up their sequence. They hit light speed. We didn't know at that time where they were going to go. I didn't really have any speculation. I was like alright it's either going to be Tatooine or they're going to go back to Navarro. Or to where the um, to where the Mandos are on, I forget the name of that planet. Um, it's where the Turtle Gator was, um, but they pick up at the end of the episode where they pretty much left off, coming out of light speed, uh, where the children on the watch are, and according to Wikipedia, it is an unidentified planet. Um, I don't know if we've gotten any confirmation as far as what the planet is. It'll probably be in one of the art of books or reference in a future chapter, but we still don't have a name for that planet or moon. So, middle of the episode here, it's been, it's been debated. <laughs> it's been debated. I know a lot of people really want the focus to be on Din Djarin on his character because they think it's his series, which... I still believe it is. Um, you are kind of running into that realm of him being 
a one-dimensional character and it kind of goes to the whole back and forth well which one is it do you want him to be a focal fighter against the building or the rise of the first order uh, the remnants of the empire or do you want him to go back and just being a gunslinger because if you want him to be a gunslinger him just having father and son adventures going to the galaxy a little red dead redemption mission video game style that's cool too but i don't think you could complain if you expect a dragged out episode like this when there's not really much to work with so cutting away to that and falling into this whole are they really trying to put the pieces together for uh what rangers of the new republic was supposed to be the rise of the first order so it does introduce a character that we met in the mandalorian with dr pershing uh we get reintroduced to him i should say in this season um him and Alia kane run off and they pretty much show that whole amnesty project so Basically, I think the takeaways from this episode are showing how the New Republic is struggling. Uh, we know at this time frame, we're about eight years from the end of the Return of the Jedi. I wouldn't even say the fall of the Empire at that point, because we know that even though they blew up the Death Star 2, they still had to f finish out and kind of clear out some other battles, like the Battle of Jakku would have happened afterwards. So it did take a little bit of time for all that to kind of be set in stone. Um, from there, I mean, I, I just think this episode kind of reflects the struggles that the New Republic is having, and I think it's going to have a bigger payoff in the long run. Um, at that point, I mean, it, it, you you could have felt shortchanged. I think it's fair to have felt a little shortchanged on this one if you're looking for the Mandalorian story all in itself together. So I think that is a little bit of fair criticism. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying this was my favorite episode but i think it's going to have a bigger payoff and it just alludes to the fact that moff gideon obviously escaped we knew he was going to escape and once they announced you know john carlo esposito coming back big name actor you can't just write him off like that he's been mia this whole season since but i think it's going to have a big payoff uh from there i mean you just kind of show Similar tactics. I know there's other YouTube videos. You could go on uh, Screen Crush. You could go New Rock Stars. Even Heavy Spoilers. They kind of go and allude to pulling references from World War II. What the U.S. was doing uh, to other nations. Kind of similar to what they did with Japan. Just trying to prevent communism from spreading and, and going from there. So those are definitely videos that I do recommend to check out. But this one here, I mean, it, it did draw some criticism. Um, people were... Getting a little impatient, you were three chapters in at that point, and when the episode finishes, um, you do see the kind of face-off, not face-off, but like the, the little, just, we'll just call it a face-off, little face-off with uh, Bo-Katan and the Mythosaur. I'm going to get one of those and put that thing back there. But uh, Mythosaur, uh, the, the giant plaque that they have, that they had in Navarro above the armory. So it's going to be really cool to see that kind of pay off. I think we do get more of it as the season progresses. But from how the episode would have ended at that point, I think everybody, you know, to each their own, again, all Star Wars is good Star Wars on our show. Um, 
Moving to The Foundling. This one was directed by Carl Weathers. We knew he was going to come back in and direct an episode. Um, Before I actually jump into that one, just as a reminder, chapter 19 would have been directed by Lee Isaac Chung. So that is another director who would have had his first live-action Star Wars debut in chapter 19. So moving on to chapter 20, The Foundling, directed by Carl Weathers, Grief Cargo himself. We pretty much pick up with a really cool training sequence. It's kind of showing the Mandalorians kind of training, training their foundlings, training the younglings of Mandalorian culture. Uh, to just get ready for combat. Some of them do have their little Walmart-style helmet and Mandalorian gear. So it was pretty cool to see that little sequence. We got to see Grogu in action. and I mean, it's a puppet. I love the fact that they keep it consistent and really throw it back to the original trilogy puppetry and even prequel puppetry before we got the digital remasters um, with the Blu-ray re-releases of the prequel trilogy where it you literally know they're flipping the Grogu puppet with stilts and everything that they use when when whenever he moves. So I love that sequence. Uh, it was pretty cool to see him with his little uh, Star Wars paintball gauntlet. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, from there, this has got to be the most dangerous beach in all of Star Wars. Uh, even the beaches of Scarif are a lot safer than whatever beats that the uh, children of the watch have called their home um man gotta i believe they they called it a raptor uh giant star wars pterodactyl comes in gets uh ragnar ragnar right yeah ragnar vizsla uh just swoops in takes him this kid is just i guess he might even be bait at this point because he had his run-in with the giant turtle gator Uh, This is a second run-in with a giant creature that apparently feeds. (laughs) This isn't their first time. Uh, Apparently he's eating other kids or other Mandalorians. And they just, they still, I mean, you would think that they have a scout or someone out watching or some type of radar detection. But, hey, I mean, if it's for the drama, it's for the script. I I think it's pretty cool seeing these creatures. And uh, what we know with the Mandalorian is they love doing their Monster of the Week. So it's, it's cool to see the creature department Uh, be able to come up with new and original creatures for Star Wars. So, from here, Grogu stays back because he's not ready. Uh, Bo-Katan decides to lead that cruise. Um, Takeaways from this, man. This, I think this was an awesome episode. It was a little short. It did have its, its shortcomings, but, man, the flashback scene with Grogu... We do finally get to see who saved him and who rescued him from the Order 66 execution. Uh, saved him from Anakin. And it's none other than Ahmed Best. So Ahmed Best's character uh, is none other than Kellerin. I was going to say Quillian, but <laughs> Kellerin Beck. Kellerin Beck is someone from Tales of the Jedi... Uh, had its own YouTube run. I think it was supposed to be on Disney Plus, and it, it probably was just better being put on YouTube. Not any shot at Ahmed. I, mean, I think it was just should have given him a bigger budget, higher production value for that. It was a little fun, but it's cool to see them 
be able to pull him out. He's live action Star Wars as a Jedi now. Uh, he's got his two dual wield sabers. That's also part of the the Trials of the Jedi uh, show that they had on YouTube. And it was a really cool sequence. I love, love, love going through that Coruscant sequence. It just brings you back to that opening scene from Attack of the Clones where they chase Zam Wessel through the streets of traffic. I shouldn't say the streets, the uh, sky streets of, of uh, Coruscant. So beautifully live action, live action Coruscant yet again. I know we spent a lot of time on there in Andor, but... Just going back to that prequel series, uh, prequel time frame of Coruscant, especially during Order 66, seeing that Republic gunship fly through there, blasting away, who cares? That's just like, just going all out to capture essentially a baby. So I think it just shows how hardcore Order 66 really was. I know, you know, we saw that first firsthand in Revenge of the Sith, but I... I I love, I, I gotta give them so much props for pulling us back and bringing us back to that prequel era of Star Wars because that, that was our childhood, you know, and seeing it in this uh, live action technology uh, with the volume, it, it looks awesome. And it's so cool to see. So happy that it's still somewhere that we get to explore. Um, from here, there's a lot of speculation as far as who ordered the... Uh, Naboo Cruiser to pick him up. I think it's none other than Jar Jar Binks. I think all those series are correct because it, it's not going to be Padme. We know she's at her freaking $7,000 a month, 7000 credit a month. Uh, little suite, her loft, just overlooking the beautiful city of Coruscant. So she's there. Anakin's still killing, slashing out younglings, probably stabbing Reba um, <laughs> while Grogu's getting away. But... I, I think it has to be him. I don't think they'll cut back to it just yet. It is a story that could still be explored, but I it, it's nice to see that, you know, we've we've come so far as far as where we were introduced. Finishing out what I think might just be the finisher of that flashback sequence like we did with Din being rescued by the Death Watch. So he was rescued by the Jedi. He didn't walk that path. As we know in the book of Boba Fett, he returned to the Mandalorian. Still up in the air as far as whether or not Din Djarin is going to continue to walk the path of the Death Watch or those that had rescued him and uh, pretty much brought him in as the family. Um, just to, since we're on the topic already, Grief Karga did confirm that this episode was called The Foundling because of Grogu. He confirmed that at Celebration on the Celebration Live stage. So there was a lot of speculation or a lot of I shouldn't say speculation, but a, a valid comment that it could be in reference to not only Grogu, but also Bo-Katan. Because at the end of the episode, we know uh, she loses her, her shoulder arm plate, loses her um, Night Owl signet. She takes on the signet of the Mythosaur. She reveals to the foundling that she did see the Mythosaur. Um, she's a little coy about it, but moving on to Chapter 21, The Pirate which was directed by Peter Ramsey. Did a fantastic job with this one. <clears throat> End of the episode, we know Armor wants Bo-Katan to be the one to unite all of the Mandalorians in the universe. Look, go get your crew. We got my crew. We're going to become one Mandalorian family, and we're going to go take back Mandalore. Um, 
The Pirate Chapter 21 was one of my favorite episodes <clears throat> across the board of The Mandalorian. Like, this episode was freaking awesome. It was great. Episode was great. Um, just from the entire sequence, we got the the opening scene of Pirate King Gorian Shard coming back. I love it. I love the whole actual pirate influence from this. This guy just comes in with his, uh, what do they call it? His pirate crosshair. Corsair, Corsair, sorry. <laughs> his pirate Corsair comes in, just starts blasting away everything that the high magistrate Grief Cargo would have built. Uh, it's an awesome sequence, man. I loved it. Um, from there, we get a little New Republic base with... Um, Captain Carson Tiva. Excellent reoccurring character. It's debated as far as whether or not this would have been kind of Cardu's role or Cardu's episode. Had she been the marshal there, she may have gone to this base to go seek help or ask for backup from the New Republic. And this is pretty much piggybacking and picking up on Chapter 19, where we know how the New Republic kind of goes down. Uh, what their protocols are, whether or not they're helping out others in need. And I think it kind of shows, and it, it's a little reflective of, of just modern politics, of how the U.S. operates as far as whether or not they have a real investment in certain, I guess, countries in the real world. So it's, it's cool to see those parallels being drawn. As everybody knows, I mean, people argue don't make Star Wars political. Star Wars has always been political. George Lucas has always said that. Dave Filoni has always said that. It's in the DNA of Star Wars. So it's nice that it doesn't have to go too, too far. But there is those little uh, connections, those little um, tidbits of, of U.S. history. Uh, whether it's back in the past, whether it's now, it's, it's really cool to see. So this, you know, the... We, this episode was, again, awesome. I'm going to just keep repeating that. That's all I'm going to say about it because it is. If you didn't like it, I'm sorry. But the whole Starfighter sequence, the whole sequence of Din Jaren, the gauntlet live in action again. I mean, we've seen Mando do his whole Batman routine. It, it wouldn't have been anything new of him pretty much boots on the ground going in, uh, taking over the capital or uh, city of Navarro. Um We've seen that before. We've seen him infiltrate several places. We're gonna we do see it again later this season in the next chapter, a different setting. But it was actually really refreshing and really cool to again see his star starfighter actions just being shown off, and it is giving purpose to why they blew up the Razor Crest. Um, not to say that. It kind of helps the story, but at least it was for no reason at all. I mean, if you're going to give him this badass, again, Corvette of a starship, let him use it. Let him blast these pirates out of the sky. So that was an awesome... It, it reminded me of, of the opening scene of The Last Jedi of Poe Dameron just blasting through um, the giant First Order ship. I forget the name. I always forget the name of these ships on the spot. <laughs> Ask me any other time I'm going to remember it. Um, a dreadnought. It was a Dreadnought. Uh, very similar to that. Just blasting away on its little guns and the engines. It did feel like a video game mission. But EA, come on. Star Wars, come on. Disney, come on. We need that Mandalorian video game. So we could just sit there. Play hundreds of hundreds of hours on it. 
whether it's blasting away ships, again, boots on the ground, just infiltrating places, or just collecting bounty. That would be such an awesome game. Please, please give it to us. So, awesome episode. I'm saying it again. Uh, we get to see the Death Watch in live action as well. Do the whole drop sequence from the gauntlet. That was awesome. Uh, people were complaining because it was a little too easy for them. But, I mean, they're pirates, dude. They got Beskar. Whether or not it's it's full pure Beskar like Din Djarin has. You can tell the armor's a little bit different. A lot of them do use recycled or reused Stormtrooper armor. Um, it, it, was, it was nice to see... This is the Mandalorian. I mean, this is what this series is about. Um, Peter Ramsey did a fantastic job with this. So we know he's going to get some future projects. I believe in Skeleton Crew and the Acolyte, I want to say. I'll be able to confirm it when we do our celebration recap. But it's going to be one of those two. Uh, it's it's something where I think he's got his, he's got his rights and his ranks in Star Wars. Just like Bryce Dallas Howard has hers. He's got his in his own. So the episode caps off and finishes off with a little Easter, not Easter egg, but like a little segue into finally getting a villain in this series. Um, We know it's Moff Gideon. It's been coined and promoted as being Moff Gideon, but we haven't seen him. He's been MIA this whole season. So we finally discover and we get to see the Imperial shuttle just blown to bits. My heart broke when I saw that because I love that spaceship. I was just there floating in deep space. Kind of eerie. Love eerie Star Wars. I hope we get more of it in Skeleton Crew. Uh, just drawing from that Stephen King influence that it's going to have. I, I love that eerie part of Star Wars and that mystery part of Star Wars. Uh, really cool to see as we know Moff Gideon never made it to trial he escapes we do see a couple dead uh, New Republic um, uh, what officers I guess on there uh, this is being debated and possibly being seen as a maybe kill off of Cardoon I guess it, it could work you could recast her I mean they could do what they want with it um, I look at me I didn't even bring up the fact that Zeb was introduced in the the this chapter. So we get to see Zeb live action. So there you go. Zeb could be the one to be uh, the Ranger of the New Republic. You know, it could be his show. Give him the keys to that show. I'm all here for it. Just don't She-Hulk him on CGI because he looked fantastic. And I love how he just walks up to the bar right here. Come on, Zeb. Join us in. I'll pour you up some spotchka. We'll talk about it. Tell me the stories. And I would much prefer to see it. But let's see where you've been. What's happened since the Rebels finale. And I hope to see you in Ahsoka. But, man. What an episode. I I can't stress that enough. I've said it probably 30 times already. And I'm going to keep saying it. Because that's what we do here. We love Star Wars when it's at its best. It's fantastic, and I want to see more of these types of episodes, and I'm sure a lot of other people want to as well. I think so far this has been the highlight chapter. Uh, biggest question we left off on was the um, best car alloy that was left there, the little shard of best car. Uh, whether it was people speculated being, I've seen online, um, best car dark troopers. Um, maybe, maybe not. I think that would kind of be a little overpowered. Uh, wouldn't be able to penetrate any 
lightsabers. I don't know how they would defeat them. Um, others think it was a gun for hire. Uh, maybe at that time I was thinking maybe it was the rest of the night owls that just would have been bought out. They're no longer following Bo-Katan. There's no loyalty to that. Um, maybe they just, you know, needed a payday to just live life, buy some spotchka, buy some brandy, apparently. Thank you for making that canon in Star Wars Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, for those of you that haven't heard <laughs> prior episodes, I just felt a little too real to me, uh, with a reference of Brandy in Solo, but back to the point here. Um, as far as who it is, I wouldn't be surprised if that is our introduction to live-action Sabine. Uh, maybe she pulled him out to use him to get to Thrawn. I'm still convinced we have to get some type of Ahsoka tie-in from The Mandalorian to the series coming this August. We're only a couple months away. I mean, we're we're less than, no, I'd say about four months away from the debut of the Ahsoka series, unless it gets moved up. I hope it doesn't get pushed back, but I think you got to give a reason for casual viewers, ones that didn't see Rebels, ones that aren't too, too familiar with Ahsoka, aside from what we've seen in The Mandalorian, I think you got to give them a reason to invest and show them why they need to watch this episode, especially if you're going to start trying to tie it in and make this into a, a cumulative story for the rise of the First Order and kind of the, uh, the the cracks within the New Republic. So I think it'd be really cool to see it with Sabine Wren. Um, I think it's an answer that we're going to get sooner than later, especially with only two chapters remaining. I think it's going to come sooner than later. Uh, moving on to, I think, the most controversial episode <laughs> in Star Wars since The Last Jedi. So, man, this one, you either loved it or you hated it. To be completely honest, I was a little eh about the episode to begin with. I think it was cool that it was a live-action Clone Wars episode. Um, this was Chapter 22, Guns for Hire. Directed by the Queen, none other than herself, Bryce Dallas Howard. She is Star Wars royalty. I think, again, just drawing back to the point, I think it was expectations that just kind of threw people off. Once they saw the name Bryce Dallas Howard, the hype started to build up. I guess people assumed they were going to see Luke Skywalker, Ahsoka Tano. It was just going to be a... Again, I don't consider these cameos because they're all going towards a cumulative story that we're going to see. Celebration spoiler here. In that Dave Filoni live action film. So it's all serving a purpose in a film that we're going to get to. Those aren't considered cameos. Cameos are what we got in this episode. Which was a Lizzo cameo. A Jack Black cameo. As well as the Doc himself cameo uh, from Back to the Future. So this one I think those cameos just kind of took it out for me. Um, I'm one of those, it's not a make or break as far as the episode goes, but I I think Star Wars is at its best when it doesn't feel too real. It doesn't feel too real world. I mean, you got Jack Black, who always plays the same character, in my opinion. Um, it was a little shaky. Lizzo, I mean, I just think her acting skills just weren't up to par. It wasn't there, but she did have a, a wonderful post about her having ties to Star Wars with her father. We all have that one relative, I think, Growing up, especially our generation, um, of why you watch Star Wars, why it means a lot to you. And, you know, she did have a post about it. So it was, 
it was nice seeing that that it, it's not just a useless cameo for her it's not just like oh hey i'm in star wars no it did mean something to her and uh, it does seem that her father had passed and isn't around to have seen her in it so i mean it, it just not not to expect any major acting skills from her but it it did kind of take it out a little bit as far as as that goes so uh, gonna run a quick water break here. We'll be back in just a second and we'll have a nice little pew pew for that. All right, guys, we're back from that quick little water break. I had to uh, rehydrate myself, refresh myself with a black melon straight from the sands of Tatooine. Hey, man, right there, that little pause. Any advertisements that want to shoot their way for anybody with a couple views? Throw them on by. I'll get there someday. But to pick up where we left off. The most controversial, most debated episode so far for The Mandalorian. I mean, this episode had people up in arms. People were questioning, losing faith in Filoni and Favreau. I mean, I think we're really in for something special with these next two episodes. Because the tone of the episode was was very light. It uh, wasn't too heavy. Um, again, you had those those cameos. Um, not so much Grogu this whole season. Uh, we do see him kind of the cuteness factor play in this episode, and you know that's cool. Uh, really, really cool to see live action battle droids again. Uh, super battle droids. I thought it was hilarious when Din was kicking the uh, super battle droid. Um, I mean, some people kind of argue like well that that defeats the purpose of his his character arc of him becoming friends with droids again and, and all that stuff which i get it's a fair fair critique of it but i mean how are you not going to be triggered by looking at the droid or seeing the droid the same model that essentially killed your family and your village different from an ig droid that he got to know became his friend so maybe maybe it's more of like a person-to-person basis versus, you know, him just, I guess, being discriminatory to all droids. But um, not here for that. Not here for that. All droids are welcome here at our cantina. So bring them on in. Chopper, you're more than welcome to come by. K2SO, come in. Just don't choke slam me to the floor. Other than that, um, I enjoyed just seeing, you know, droid bar. Really, really cool. Uh, we got a Count Dooku reference in this episode as well. I mean... I'm, I'm just loving all the prequel references. Some people think it's just kind of thrown in there that it doesn't have anything to do with it. But I think it just, you know, kind of goes to show that everyone is not really... Uh, they, they, they don't have their trust in the New Republic. And I haven't read the books yet. I haven't read Bloodline. I know that's a very recommended book. I'll probably try and pick it up and check it out. Um, I just... I'm, ever since... I got out of school, I just, you know, reading has been, eh, for me, not really my, my thing, uh, maybe I'll pick up the audiobook of it, check it out, but I think it's just getting to that point where, you know, to, to kind of transition to where do we go from here, um, well, actually, let me, let me finish the episode and then we'll, we'll get into where we go from here, because once they, you know, find the whole little, uh, micro droid thing and they put a stop to him Grogu gets knighted uh, they play the beautiful Grogu music um, we get Bo-Katan versus Axe Wolves face off we get 
to see Casca Reeves back. They have their little Mandalorian encampment there. Uh, it's it's a really, really good action sequence that we see. Uh, it's always cool to see Mandalorians face off against each other. We see an actual duel for the Darksaber happen. Um, they do pull that whole Harry Potter Elder Wand stuff of, well, the enemy that was defeated by her defeated me. She rescued me, so therefore the blade is now hers. I mean, whatever. I, I think she was ultimately going to be the one to go ahead and wield it. She was the one that was going to, I think, lead Mandalore essentially become the heir to the Mandalorian throne. It's part of her arc. It's part of her character arc. And didn't, you know, never wanted it. He never wanted it. Um, I think the battle sequence was really cool. Uh, just seeing how they each have their own different fighting styles, whether it's uh, Din, Bo-Katan, uh, the armor, obviously, um, Paz Vizsla. They all have their unique style of fighting, which is really cool. Um, it, it's different from just, you know, lightsaber wielding or just being a bounty hunter. So I think that was a really good sequence. Uh, one of the better scenes from the episode, I think. But the second time I watched it around, just without having expectations skewed, I enjoyed it more. Um, I think it was definitely more of a fun episode, more of that prequel kind of goofy style episode that we grew up with in Star Wars. So definitely, definitely one where I'd recommend to rewatching it if you only saw it once. Give it a second chance. It might resonate with you a little bit better than your initial view of that chapter. So where do we go from here? Um, I know at this time they've already shown the next chapter at Celebration for those that were lucky enough to attend. Avoid spoilers at all costs. I think things are going to pick up here. I won't even say what I've... I didn't really read much. It was just more of like people reacting to it. All I could say is it's something to look forward to. Don't be discouraged. Just go in. No expectations. We're going in blind on this one. Um, that's, that's be excited for the finale of Mandalorian Season 3. The finale is already upon us within the next two chapters. We know it's going to be directed by, uh, by uh, Rick... Rick Femiyua, I, I can't pronounce his last name to save my life, so I apologize. I'm going to work on it, though. Um, it is his pretty much two-part finale. I look at it as a two-part finale, so it's going to be really exciting to go into it. Um, I think it's just really going to reflect and show what we've been alluding to this entire season. It's kind of been like a, a fast-paced season so far, but... As far as the story goes, it, it has been moving a little bit slower. Uh, definitely slower than the previous season, which season one did get a lot of flack for moving a, a little bit slow as far as what the actual story was. But it's it's all going to tie in. I think it's all going to tie in. It's all connected. It's going to lead into Ahsoka, I believe. I think it's going to to leak into that. Um, it will even maybe leak into skeleton crew uh we're still waiting on getting a trailer for that we'll probably get that maybe summer or another convention a little bit closer to the end of the year maybe after ahsoka um it would be really cool to get in another end credit scene uh since star wars pretty much has made that a thing with the book of boba fett announcement it would be really cool to see that again and who knows maybe they're going to do that again where we get book of boba season two announcement as an end credit scene depending on whether or not he is coming back within the last two chapters i'd be here for it that'd be so sick 
We didn't unfortunately get that announcement at Celebration for Book of Boba Fett Season 2. I'm really hoping they get another shot at it, uh, tell more stories. They spent a lot of time on that episode, I'm sorry, on that series, uh, just kind of explaining how he got out, which was granted, I think it was warranted, but it would be cool to see where he goes from there. Um, so I'm, I'm all in for an end credit scene. Uh, I think it's just, again, going to show just the fractures and the the crumbling, the ground crumbling underneath them as far as the New Republic goes. Um, Din's story, I think, is yet to be told as far as where it goes. Um, I think we're just going to get to the actual conflict. I think Moff Gideon comes in. I think we're going to get Thrawn come in. That's going to be the conflict, and maybe that's going to be the battle for Mandalore. Um, maybe when they say take back Mandalore, uh, remember chapter 18, the minds of Mandalore, the radio waves were blocked. Maybe the empire knows that there's empire remnants still there on Mandalore. Uh, they start this rumor that it's cursed just so they don't have this whole battle burn resources, uh, burn themselves out to the new Republic. The new Republic has no, no quarrel with Mandalore itself. Maybe they're there. Maybe Thrawn's forces are there. We'll see. Um, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I did predict early on that it was going to be Ezra who was going to unlock the uh, memories of Grogu for who rescued him from Order 66. We didn't get that. So I don't I don't think Ezra's going to be revealed uh, in The Mandalorian. But I, I do think we, we might get a Thrawn reference. A Thrawn reference. Thrawn reference. I just made that up, so added to Wikipedia um, within this series. But it's going to be an exciting ending, I think. Uh, don't don't lose your faith in it. Um, just enjoy it while we can because we're all going to be missing it shoot, three weeks from now. So just take it for what it's worth. Enjoy it. Again, all Star Wars is good Star Wars. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Uh, those are pretty much my predictions because I honestly don't know. I can't give more specific predictions because i think that's a fun in it is like i don't know where it's going to go i don't want to set expectations for myself i think it's just one where we're going to go in blind and then we're going to talk about it uh, we're going to do a chapter 23 chapter 24 separate recaps on it i'm going to push for that have a little bit of a busy weekend next week but i'm going to try and make it happen and squeeze it in but thank you guys very much for tuning in for the mandalorian recap season three so far getting ready for the season three finale Stay tuned for a celebration recap and highlights from Star Wars Celebration London 2023. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm the host, Andy Garcia, and may the Force be with you.